Welcome to Northern Goal, the football podcast from the Evening Express and Pressing Journal. I'm Ryan Kreil and joining me today, Paul Third, Andy Skinner, Jamie Durant, the Dream Team. How are we guys? All good. good. Very well, thanks. Yeah. Right, I'm going to change it up this week ever so slightly by mentioning the email address for Northern Goal at the start of the episode if you have any questions, queries, rants, criticisms about what's discussed today by the guys, feel free to email northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk with your views and we can, we can you know, air them in a future episode. But yes, on to the subject matter of this week's show. Of course, we'll be discussing Aberdeen. Haven't had a game in the last couple of weeks, but plenty of stuff going on at Pataldry, including a new deal for Johnny Hayes and they're back in action this weekend, Ross County, a similar situation. They've had a couple of weeks off to get down on the training field and, you know, really hone those uh, those tactics for the final run in this season. Inverness, there's bombshell news for Inverness in that they won a game over the weekend. So, yeah, we'll, we'll work out how that happened, especially against our growth, a team that's been... The championship front runners most of this season, and we'll get into the, the players that stood out, and of course, Cove, Peterhead, and Elgin to discuss as well as always. But yes, Aberdeen, first of all, Paul, Johnny Hayes' new deal, Andy Considine's expected to also pen a one year extension, we think, uh, hopefully, in the, the weeks ahead. Is that is that a good piece of business for a new boss, Jim Goodwin? You need experienced heads, don't you? You can't just, you can't, you can't win anything with kids. <laughs> no, I don't suppose you you can. Um, listen, in terms of Johnny Hayes, he's been one of the better performers this season. I still think going forward is where he offers most to the team. And he's a fit lad, despite being in the veteran campaigner stage of his career. He's, he's hinted next season could be his last as his focus is switching more towards the coaching side of things. He's taken on a role in the club's academy. I'm sure the young players there at Cormac Park will love learning from a player with his pedigree in the game. Um, It's funny because I I look at it and go, depending on the transfer business at Petordi this summer, do I expect Johnny to be playing week in, week out next season? Probably not. No, but that doesn't mean he won't still have a role to play because he can play anywhere down the left-hand side, uh, even up top if it comes to it. Maybe that could have been a, a potential solution this season given the, the Don's lack of punch in the final third. But um, no, I, th- I think it's a good... It's, it's one year. He's, he's he's done it all in Scottish football. So no, I, I've got no objection to that that extension at all. I think the thing for me with uh, Hayes and possibly Constantine as well, staying on, these guys that won the the League Cup in 2014. I think I would just, as a as a fan, be, I don't know, I'd just have the sense of unease if there was no one left in the team at all from that. I know it was a good few years ago, but, you know, these guys have, at least, you know, they know how to win something with Aberdeen. Is that is that important? I, th- I was talking to Willie Miller about it, and he said it's, he thinks when new players come in, that the guys like that are important to sort of, you know, let them know, let let those players know straight away what the fans demand, what the you know what's expected at a club like Aberdeen. Or are those just cliches, empty cliches? Uh, I think I think the experience counts when you're struggling, and boy, have the Dons struggled a few times this year. In terms of what it means to play for Aberdeen, I think the fans certainly let you know 
<laughs> every week if you're if you're not doing it. Um, I think we're, we might come on to someone in particular later on. But no, Andy Considine is a leader in the park. Johnny Hayes is an old head. I don't know. I, I've never looked at Johnny as a leader, but he certainly, I would say, perhaps leads by example rather than being vocal in the dressing room. Anyone that's spoken to Johnny will know he's quite a soft-spoken, quiet lad, but he's, he's such a... It's a six, seven out of ten for me every week. That's how I look at Johnny. So yeah. those guys are important from that point of view. Yeah, he's one of those guys when he does post match. You need one of those those things that FBI put up the hotel room walls to hear what's happening <laughs> in the next suite to pick up what he's saying. Uh, okay, yeah, you sort of hinted at it there. He done an interview with Steve Cowan this week, who does a bit of work on Red TV. Not overly impressed with the Dons so far this season. I mean. It's pretty obvious, as we've said, that they haven't had a great campaign. I think they're currently still sitting in 10th in the Premiership, although we're still holding out hope they can make it in the top six over the next three Premiership games, starting with Hibs on Saturday. But yeah, I think the line that stood out for me was uh, J. Emmanuel Thomas, who, of course, we're kind of at the moment trying to work out what his future is, if he's got any future at Pataudry. But he labelled him an absolute disaster, which I thought stood out. Uh, it's it was a scathing a scathing uh, one sentence that's for sure. Um, you can't can you argue with it? I don't I don't think so. I, I was a fan of Jet as people who have listened to this regularly will will know. I, I've stood up for him a few times, but I'd be fibbing if I said he'd been a success at Petardi this season. Um, we did get encouraging glimpses in July and August, but he fell out of the picture under Stephen Glass and has been nowhere to be seen at all since Jim Goodwin arrived. It's no secret that the new Dons boss is looking for a high-tempo, high-energy, high-pressing approach from his side. Uh, he'll be working towards implementing that, but those are not qualities which come to mind when anyone thinks of J. Emmanuel Thomas. He likes to drop off or drift out wide. He's got one goal for Aberdeen this season. That's not exactly pushing your case to get a regular run in the team. The bigger issue for me, and it was another point that Steve Cowan made when I spoke to him, was it's going to take Jim Goodwin a bit of time to fix this. Steve thought two or three windows. Um, I think he's spot on with that because clearly there are players under contract, so I don't see a root and branch rebuild happening overnight. It's going to take time. But there is a bigger picture in all of this, and I was scribbling away a few notes for ahead of this. Um, Aberdeen's transfer window dealings in the last two or three years haven't been great. There are st- standout guys who have come in and done well, such as a Ross McCrory or a Christian Ramirez, but there's been more misses than hits. I mean, look, look at the last... I mean, we're talking about the cup final. It was eight years ago this week. You look at guys like Kenny McLean, Ryan Christie, Ryan Jack, Graham Shinney, Scott McKenna. They were all big players for Aberdeen in that last 10 years, if you like. And they've all gone and replacing them like for like it's not easy on Aberdeen's budget. And then you move into the more recent windows. We've seen Ryan Hedges, Sam Cosgrove, Scott Wright all leave. Aberdeen have struggled to replace the first five I mentioned before being hit by the departure of these three. And this is before we get into age catching up with other guys such as Anil McGinn and Ashay Logan in terms of top flight football at Pataudry. So there's a lack of creativity which has gone unaddressed for too long, they don't score enough goals, I think that's been clear for a while, you can go back and look at 
Derek McInnes's last couple of seasons and you see a team which did enough to stay in the top four but the signs were there that this situation they're now in has been coming I looked at the league table this is where I took my notes the last three years right initially it looks roughly the same but there's a key difference and you'll you'll hear it here and it's Aberdeen's inability to grind out wins so if we look at two years ago the last season that stopped due to Covid it was 30 games played 40 goals scored 30 conceded 12 wins Last season in 38 games, they scored 36, conceded 38 in the one fifteen games. Here we are now, it's much the same, but after 30 games they've scored 33, conceded 38, but there's only 8 wins there. Aberdeen don't, this Aberdeen team doesn't know how to grind out a 1-0, especially away from home, that away record's been a shocker, and it's all now coming home to roost for them. On, on that subject, something else we heard this week though was Declan Gallagher talking about how all the struggles he's had in his early Dons career, obviously he has not hit the ground, or didn't hit the ground running, based on, I think, what, what everyone was expecting from him, a Scotland international that Motherwell wanted to keep, and was seen as a bit of a coup of a signing to get him on a pre-contract, and then he came in and was pretty ropey in the early part of his Dons career, but he insisted were mitigating circumstances for that, yeah? Yeah, he'd, he's um, touched on this a couple of times. I think there was a, a COVID scare and it led to isolation. Then there was a hamstring injury. And then I think he had his own COVID situation he had to deal with. So that's all added up to a guy who's been un- unavailable for action. And he's in his 30s now. Like most guys that age, I think you need to be playing regularly to be on top of your game and, and making a meaningful contribution and it has been a struggle but since Jim Goodwin comes has come in you've seen McCrory back in the middle of the park and it's Bates and Gallagher are the regular central defensive pair and, and yes Aberdeen are still waiting for that first win in the league this year but you are seeing green shoots of a potential central defensive partnership coming with those two Just to go back to what we were talking, talking about before when you're on about a big kind of rebuilder ahead in the summer and how long it might take. I mean, how how much do you feel that Jim Goodwin will kind of maybe rely on players that he knows and maybe players coming in from St. Mirren? Because we've seen, I think we've seen Jack Annick mentioned as potential as a potential signing before. And I think this week, Connor Ronan as well, who's obviously done done well at St. Mirren this season on loan from from Wolves. Um, I mean, it's, Connor Ronan would be another central midfielder that you'd have to kind of try and shoehorn in somewhere. But is, maybe not the easiest way, but... Is it going to be the quickest way to to getting results and back where they want to be? Is if Jim Goodwin's got players that he knows and and can trust, rather than say maybe bringing in players from from outside? It'll be a bit of both, I think. Um, it's interesting because we we don't know what Jim Goodwin's remit for a player is and how different that will be to what the football department was probably scouting for that Stephen Glass was looking for, because this has all just happened after the last window shut. So. I would imagine quite a fair bit of Aberdeen's plans and, and what their previous manager was looking for will be very different to what Jim Goodwin's now after. So, yes, naturally because of that, I think he will go with guys that he knows and trusts and has a, a good understanding of what they're going to bring to a team. Because that's a short-term obvious way of, of plugging some, some issues and gaps that he's, he's got in, in his own team now is that he's taken over but no I think I think longer term you will see well what about this guy what about that guy and then a, a bit of research being done on, on what potentially he can bring to the team but no, I mean it's natural that any manager will will have a few trusted guys from his previous club and if that's going to be Alnwick and Ronan then then so be it the interesting thing about the constant goalkeeper 
chat is that's going to if we get a new goalie coming this summer that's three first team guys and as part of me thinking in terms of needing to reinvest funds in your whole squad do you need three first team goalkeepers at Aberdeen I, I don't think so so it'll be interesting to see if, if one comes in which of the other two moves out before the summer three games now before the split the a lot of opinions would be that Aberdeen need to win all three to guarantee themselves a place in that top six games against Hebs, Ross County. Who's the who's the last one against Thirty? The last one's Ross County. It's Dens in between. Dens in it's between. Two, um, yeah. Hibs this Hibs this weekend. Um, probably not the best thing in the world for Aberdeen. I'm sure Jim Goodwin was uh, interested onlooker to see Hibs finding a bit of attacking flair, a bit of attacking verve in the Scottish Cup at Motherwell. Aberdeen will, of course, have to continue this tightened up defensive uh, steel they've shown of late, won't they? And hopefully show a bit more attacking flair than they did at Ibrox in the last game before this little break they've been on. Oh, absolutely. But it's funny, it's because you, you look at Hibs beating Motherwell in the Scottish Cup at the weekend and think, oh well, Hibs will be coming up there in good form, but they're not. Yeah. <laughs> you look you look at the for you look at the form guide that's been doing the rounds this week. Um the Dons, Hibs and the Motherwell combined have one win in the last thirty league matches. It's two ten game unbeaten eh, un sorry, two ten game runs without a win for the Dons and Motherwell and one win in ten for Hibs. And Hibs are coming up here having had three goalless draws on the spin in the league. It's it's incredible. That's why we're now got what is it seven teams involved in this this race for the final three places. Um, but there is a scenario, and I have to point this one out, where Aberdeen's top six hopes could be done and dusted on Saturday. Um, if they lose to Hibs, then Hibs can't be caught. So you're then looking at Ross County and Livingston's results at Celtic and Hearts. If one of them win then they're not going to be caught. Even if they both lose, you're still looking at a scenario unfolding where the other two games on Saturday end it for the Dons. If there's a winner between St Mirren and Dundee United, then they're out of sight. And that leaves Motherwell going to Perth to play St Johnston. And if Motherwell win there, then it's all over if Aberdeen lose to Hibs. So put it this way, if Aberdeen lose on Saturday, there's an awful lot has to go their way elsewhere to keep what would then be very slim hopes of a top six place alive. So, aye, must win. I think this is the definition of a must win game for Aberdeen. The narrative, it does feel like at this point, has been for a good couple of months now that like it's, it's still there for us. It's still there for us, despite every. But it is, because no one else wants it. Despite every setback. <laughs> but yes, it's worth pointing out as well that on Saturday, Hibs, despite. It was on Sunday, no, wasn't it? On Sunday, Hibs, despite, you know, showing a bit of attacking flair. Motherwell were down to ten men and yeah, what they still ended up winning two one in the end and, you know, giving a goal away and yeah, it wasn't the most comfortable afternoon for them. Anyway, let's have a short break and after that we'll discuss our teams in the Highlands. Well, we'll discuss Ross County a bit and I imagine we'll then move on to Everness. Northern Goal is brought to you in association with Aberdeen Sports Village. With memberships to suit all ages, Aberdeen Sports Village is for everyone in the community. I'm there all the time to interview athletes, play football on the indoor pitches, swim or use the gym. But you can also dive, choose from over 100 exercise classes, play racket sports, chill in the sauna and steam room, run on the athletics track and more. 
achieve your goals at Aberdeen Sports Village. Search for Aberdeen Sports Village online for more information. Okay, Andy, is there anything new to discuss at Ross County ahead of their return to action this weekend? Well, I mean, I suppose they've they've been quite proactive in the break. You, you touched on last week some of the contracts that they they got signed up ahead of next season, and in addition to that, Keith Watson has signed a new deal. So you know there has been a, a focus on trying to to plan ahead there because we all know that there's a bit of a um, you know potential rebuild looking on the horizon there, just with the the number of players that are uh, coming to the end of their deals. But, um, I mean, they're similar to Aberdeen, but in a, a different light. They are looking at this as being, you know, the final push for for a top six place. And, you know, as I say, it's a t- completely different light because Ross County are in a, you know, very good frame of mind. Um, they are in better form than just about every team that they're in competition with, having racked up three straight victories. They're making the trip... Uh, down to Parkhead, which you know is a very difficult one for them uh, to begin. You know this three-game running, but you know they couldn't really be going down there in a, a better fettle. Um, they've kept back-to-back clean sheets for the first time since the opening two games of last season. Um, so they're they're going to need to. They're they're going to need uh, another uh, you know show of defensive resolve in order to. To pick up a result this weekend, that is for sure. But um, no, the spirits are very high just now, and you know, no matter what the uh, the result this weekend, again, you know, contrast that with Aberdeen. Uh, even if they were to to lose this weekend, you know, the, the, they would still be in a position where they could salvage the top six if they were to to get good results in their final two games against Hearts and the Dons. So. Uh, I wouldn't say the the pressure is entirely off them going down this weekend. And based on their previous performances against the old firm, I think they will go down there looking to make an impact, which, you know, you look at the the last time they played Celtic, they they conceded a a 96th um, minute goal to to lose out that time. And, um, you know, they struck late themselves to to get a point against Rangers. So, uh, you know, there's a, a a strong belief within that that camp just now, and no matter who they're playing, they're, uh, they're you know they're going into games believing that they can score goals and they can get something out of it. So, quite intrigued as to how they they measure up with uh, so much confidence behind them going into this one. How have, how have the boys from Southampton feds and because they were the kind of the kind of the high profile ones, I suppose you could say. Obviously, Jake Vokins and Kane Ramsey coming in, and then. See, latterly you had Josh Sims. I mean, how have how have these boys adapted? Who's kind of who's kind of been the standout out of out of the three? Uh, I suppose they're they're all quite different in in their own circumstances. Um, Jake Vokins was sidelined for the first few months of the the season due to an injury that he picked up literally the day before the the season's opener. So you know it took him time to get going. Even once he did get back to fitness, um, I mean he he's looked. Uh, you know, a lively attacking presence from the fullback position, perhaps not the same impact as Harry Clark had shown on the, you know, the other flank in the the first half of the season. But um, you know, he still contributed a lot. Um, you know, during County's best spell of form throughout the season. Um, in recent weeks, he's actually found himself on the bench 
um, along with the likes of Blair Spittle, which you know is a show of the the strength and depth that uh, you know Malky Mackay is benefiting from just now. He's got another couple of players on their way back in Keith Watson and David Cancola. So no good options there. Uh, Kane Ramsey again, he's he's fitted in pretty seamlessly since uh, since coming in in January. Um, again, he's sort of fitted into that right back position vacated by Clark. It would, was always going to be a tall order to replicate that impact that was made in the first half of the season, but he's he's certainly shown up strongly. He's athletic and you know shows good defensive attributes. And Josh Sims is one that you know always had a, a long term kind of slant to it because the you know just the problems that he's had in his own you know health and and fitness in recent months uh, necessitated quite a lot of time to be taken over over getting him integrated into the, the side. Uh, Malky Bakai has described him as undergoing his own mini preseason as we speak just now. So. Um, I, I'm, I don't think he's actually made a, an appearance off the bench. He, he was on the bench among the, the substitutes for a couple of games, but I think it will be after the split before we we see him in action. And you know, with him being signed up for a couple of years beyond that, that's certainly one with the, the long term in mind. But no, it's certainly a good link up that they seem to have with Southampton there, um, and that bodes well when it comes to you know potential for further recruitment this summer. Interesting to see if any of uh, the promising county youngsters go the other way, maybe, in the future. Uh, Inverness, then. Horrendous winless run under Billy Dodds, to the point where, when I was driving up to Fraserburgh on Saturday and off the ball, they were actually joking about Billy Dodds being back on Sportsound this coming Saturday. Our both, obviously, the visitors, the Caledonian Stadium, and then a team that's led the league, they dropped off the top, but they've led the league for most of the season. And Inverness go and win 3-0. Can you explain it, Andy, to me? How did it happen? Um, well, it's just, just the most ironic sort of twist that you can imagine uh, after an 11-game winless run to go and beat the, the league leaders. It's it's the sort of thing that makes you go, ah, typical Inverness. Um, I mean, they got, they got themselves into a very healthy position early in the game, which I suppose was probably key because giving Arbroath anything to hold on to uh, would certainly have allowed them to have a much greater say in how this game went. But uh, early goals from Shane Sutherland, uh, a bit of a scrappy one from a corner, followed by a really nice move, which culminated in Reese McAleer finishing um, really well. Had them aye, two goals up within the opening quarter of an hour or so. And I think you began to see some of the, the confidence that they've been lacking really come out of them after that because, I mean, there have been tidy passages of play in recent weeks uh, only in small spells within games, but um, you know, just having that cushion gave them a, a platform to, to really express themselves and uh, Would you, know, you go as far to say that it turned into a swashbuckling display? I would say so, yeah. No, I was I was watching it in large parts and I, th- I was very impressed with what I saw, but uh, it does become quite a straightforward task when you've you put yourselves in that that position early in the game. Um, I mean, they caught our growth on a on a bad day as well. That's that goes without saying. But um, no, it, it it certainly the the manner of the win and the the result gives them a platform to now go and 
try to to finish this uh, this playoff push, um, you know, with a, a good run of form. Looking at the team that, that Billy Dodd's part of there, it almost seemed like he'd given the run they'd on with picking three strikers or three forwards like Joe Joe Hardy, Billy Mackay, Shane Southern. It was almost like he just got in, well, well, sod it. We've tried everything else. We'll put three strikers out on the pitch and see how we get on. Um, and I think Shane, Shane's probably someone that's maybe gone under the radar a little bit. I think over the years we've known he's a goal scorer and he can finish when the ball's in the box. He's done that at a, a lower level, but I suppose it's, then doing it consistently when he's stepped up again to full-time football when he's, in theory, he's playing against better opposition. But I suppose at any level, you know where the goal is. It's just you're going to be coming up against better quality players. Yeah, Chains had a, a, a very decent impact this season, I think. And it was actually the... I was down at Fur Hill for their previous game and Billy Dodds made a half-time switch in that one where he brought Shane and Joe Hardy on um, replacing Austin Samuels and, and Sam Pearson and the the sort of directness that Inverness benefited from as a result of that change, you know, by withdrawing two wide players, you know, clearly made a, an impact in their favour. They, they still went on to lose that game, uh, having not taken the chances that they created, but there was a, a distinct improvement in, you know, just how dangerous they looked. So I, I think there was an element of Billy looking to carry on some of the, the momentum that they generated in that second half. And Joe Hardy is one that, that has actually stood out for me in the two substitute appearances he'd made prior to the Arbroath game. Um, he got himself into a great position late on in the Hamilton game and uh, he, he took the shot on from a quite wide position when there was a, a cutback for Billy Mackay that was staring him in the face. Um, I mean, that, that would have guaranteed them the, the three points at that late stage in the game. It was the, the last kick of the ball. Um, and then against Partick, he he again got himself into to good areas, had a couple of chances uh, that were blocked and, and saved by the, the Jags goalkeeper. Um, just a very busy, lively presence that, you know, gave me the impression that there there's something to be, to be gained from having him on the, the pitch in some of these final few games. Because um, he's got a good track record, he he spent you know a good bit of time in um, in, in Liverpool's under twenty three side, having been you know headhunted by Liverpool. So um, you know that that was quite a promising one. He didn't get on the the score sheet on Saturday, obviously, but uh, you know there's there's certainly a lot for for Billy to work with there, and uh, there'll be a lot of players feeling like you know they've not done themselves justice in these last few weeks that that will, you know, be looking to try and, uh, you know, just show what they can do in these uh, these final weeks. But no, it's it's set up for an interesting run and um, all Inverness can, can really look to do now is just, you know, take the the confidence that they've gained from that, that Arbroath victory and just look to keep the pressure up on the teams above them. Getting over the line in this playoff quest is clearly the priority now. Um, they're still in the same position going into this weekend's game against Wraith Rovers as they were prior to the Arbroath game, given Wraith also ended their uh, uh, winless run. So, uh, you know, the result in that is going to be crucial. But uh, you also have to look at how Arbroath might react to to losing against Kilmarnock as well, um, given that they've been, you know, holding top position for so long. 
you would probably expect Kilmarnock to, to now go and finish the job off given the strength that they've got in depth but uh, you know if, if Inverness can get a couple of wins on the same day as our Arbroath slip up then all of a sudden there becomes a, a chance to, to put pressure on, on them as well as Partick Thistle so we all know what's going to happen this weekend right next up let's discuss the lower leagues Okay then, so Cove 4, Clyde 1, not a remarkable scoreline given Cove's position in League 1 most of this season, made slightly more remarkable I would say given that Cove had Harry Milne sent off in the first half and still went on to romp it against their their visitors. Uh, first of all Jamie, did Harry Milne deserve to go? I think it was a handball, wasn't it? Second booking? In short, no. Sorry, I thought you meant no. It wasn't. It wasn't a handball. And it wasn't the second booking. But Nick, you mean as a no? It was, he didn't it was not for both. It was not for clear. both. It was not. It was not a sending off, and it was not a second booking. Um, it was a red card then. It, it, it was a straight red. Um, Quality of research in Northern Goal. I think quite pointedly in Cove's uh, Cove's own highlights after the game, they they normally do like instant replays for goals, but they did an instant replay for the red card to slow it down and zoom in and show where the ball hit Harry Milne, and I'm sure that. Um, provided the backbone of their case to the SFA to have Harry's red card overturned. And they obviously released a statement on, on Wednesday, um, quite a short four-part statement, but uh, just to say they were astounded by the uh, the panel's decision not to overturn it. Um, from my own personal viewing, it appears it's hits. Harry like on the join of kind of the shoulder and the arm and the way the way the ball's kind of rebounded away and gone upwards suggests like well it's not hit his arm because if it hits his arm it'll probably just drop downwards and the trajectory of the ball should have told the the referee what it kind of what had happened um but to give him a straight red card in the first half for that seemed very very harsh and it's it was almost in complete contrast to Harry's last send it off. Um, I was at the the last time he was sent off when he, against Rangers, and it was two daft bookings where he got booked for pulling somebody back, and then for, hand, the, for like handling the ball into the net, and he missed the the semi final against Queen of the South the other week. Um, but this one was yeah, it's it's bizarre, and it to say it does make you question like what the thinking is with these decisions and why they're not kind of overturned. Um, the performance itself, you've got to give him credit for kind of. Grinding that, grinding that win out with with ten men, and to, to score four goals at home against a team that's supposedly in, not in not in bad shape. Um, it's it's another one ticked off for Cove. Seven games to go, five points clear, and it's a pivotal run they've got coming up now because they're on the road in the next four four weekends, starting with Montrose at the weekend, and they've got um, the big one at Adrianians um, a week on Saturday, then Queens Park and Falkirk on the road. So. It's uh, it's probably the most decisive period of their season. Uh, they're not going to have the comforts of home, which they've kind of taken advantage of over the last, not just this season, but the last kind of three or four years. Um, I'd say if they come through this unbeaten, then the title I would think would be would be theirs. But as as everyone likes trotting out the old cliche, it'll be one game at a time. I'm chuckling away at the, at the Harry Milne failed appeal. What it tells me is VAR is going to be a riot when it comes into Scottish football. Yeah, but four parts now. Four four pretty interesting for our, such a, a sort of um, fury laden statement. That's pretty low on the the Ronald Hernandez has joined Atlanta United scale. That one, just the four <laughs> pars. Uh, Mitch Meganson, he obviously got his twentieth goal of the season. 
Jamie, in that game. Not bad for you know a player that's come all the way up, well, back up from the Highland League, and was supposedly having a pretty slow season. Seems to be able to do it at pretty much, you know, every season now, and potentially every level. We'll see when he goes back up to the Championship next season. Yeah, the similarities there, I suppose, with with Shane Sutherland. Shane played. Shane was playing full time, dropped down the leagues, and then it's kind of worked his way back up. Mitch did the same, albeit that Mitch has done it with the same club. He's he dropped down to the Highland League with Cove to help them get promoted into the leagues, and he's worked his way back up. But again, he knows where the back of the net is. That doesn't change whatever level you're playing at. Um, he's benefited, I think, over the last two seasons, two and a half seasons, playing with with Rory. Um, it helps him having a kind of a foil there, someone that can, in his own right, attract the attention of defenders. Rory's kind of played higher up generally and kind of occupied centre-halves, which has allowed Mitch to drop a bit deeper and get on the ball, but also to kind of make runs off him and in behind, um, which has suited him. It's given him a little bit more space. He's quite sharp on the ball and off it as well. So it's it's allowed them to kind of exploit that Um and like you say, the he's got twenty goals, and I think Rory's on nineteen as well. So between the two of them, you've got seasoned goal scorers who, as if they were on individual teams as them, maybe the, as they had been in the past, they were kind of getting plaudits. But putting them together, and you're going to have a hard time as a defense trying to trying to stop trying to stop both of them because if it's a, if one doesn't get you, the other one very probably will. So they've Cove have have had that to benefit them this season um, and it's a big part in them being where they are Peterhead down the, the the opposite end of the division what's the, what's the mood like there they obviously lost 1-0 at home to Montrose but there's no shame in that for a side like Peterhead the way the form table has been this season but I think it's still 1-1-11 for Peterhead um, East Fife below them are now a bit closer to them how concerned are the Blue Team staff and players do you get like what's what's the read well, the mood that you're getting from speaking to to Jim McAnally and the players is that they are remaining positive because they're playing. They're not playing badly. They're just not producing the moments of quality that are needed to win games, and ultimately they're conceding daft goals. Like the the goal on Saturday, the one that's decided the game is one that the ball, the goalie's lost the ball in the sun, and it's come off him, hit the defender, and gone in. And I mean. If that's the kind of the margin you're losing games by, I could understand why players would maybe get downbeat and feel negative um, that they're not getting the rewards. And it is a young team that maybe doesn't um, fully appreciate yet the fluctuations and the highs and lows of football that even when things aren't going your way, um, you know that things can change quickly and you not learn not to get too down about it. And I think that's where Jim McAnally has come in to try and... Um, kind of keep a keep things on an even keel um because if he goes in harsh on players and um criticizes them particularly when the younger players then you risk them going into the sh- into the shells at a time when he needs them to go out and deliver results he can't afford players to be shrinking away from things or second guessing themselves at this stage of the season when they need points they're not out of danger yet and that's that's ultimately the the position that they're in last weekend with the way things worked out, it was um, probably a perfect storm with um, East Fife winning. I'm not sure whether they would have preferred East Fife winning, Dumbarton winning or a draw, but East Fife winning just kind of constricts things a little bit at the bottom of the table. 
and they've still got both Dumbarton and East Fife to play in the in the remaining seven games. So I think those head-to-heads for Peterhead will be crucial. And I think even with that one win that they had in that period, the 4-3 game against Dumbarton, the way the second half unfolded probably made it feel a little bit less like a win and more like a draw or a defeat because they played so well in the first half, 3-0 up against 10 men. You think, right, we can cruise this, see this out. And the game finishes 4-3 against nine men and you're giving away some silly goals in the second half and you you don't really get that positive feeling from it. Like that 45 minutes was almost undone by the second one that followed. And they've, they've kind of struggled to to pick up again from that. And by the, by the two games against Cove that they've had um, at the Balmoral Stadium, where they've been beaten 5-2 and 3-0, they've been in, in games and been competitive. Those are the only two games where I could gen, genuinely say that they were outclassed. Um, but it's the... It's the quality, it's the final touch at both ends of the park that is ultimately costing them at the minute. And you hope that it's it's one result that allows things to turn around and things can kind of start snowballing in the right direction again. But as we've seen before, if things aren't going your way and you're not getting results, then you can soon start to slide. And this is the this is the part of the season where you, you don't want to be desperately searching for form. You want to be able to be go out there and be confident that you're going to get results and not kind of Worry about what's around the corner. Aloha this weekend for Peterhead then. Uh, Elgin, Andy, they're at home at Kelty on Saturday. Lost 2-1 to Annan last weekend. But it feels for me, looking at the table, Cowden Beath aren't going to catch Elgin. And I just feel like, you know, the Lilos are getting blown up for the Elgin players. The swim shorts are getting looked out. You know, it's kind of, it's one of those... The, it all it happens every season. It happens in every league. Teams get in a position where the season's just gonna, you know, it's sort of over. You're one eye on next term. Is that is that the position you'd say Elgin were in? Would you agree? Hey, don't knock that because give, see, three oh, four give, weeks yeah, ago, yeah, yeah, three four weeks ago, I remember. Three, week, yes. three four weeks ago, they would have bitten your arm off for that scenario, um, as that Cowden Beath juggernaut <laughs> came into sight in their rearview mirror. But uh, it, aye, that. Uh, that Cowdenbeath momentum seems to have stalled a bit now and you know all of a sudden they've they've played the, the same number of games and now look destined for that uh, that playoff so uh, yeah I think it's now just a case of trying to to finish in as good a mid-table position as they possibly can um, I mean the, the, the two teams that are looking likely to, to fight out for fourth place uh, Stenhouse Muir and Edinburgh City are uh, you know, just out of out of reach, and anything below that that, that Elgin can can try and attain would be you know just a, a bonus when prize money is at stake. Really, to be honest, um, I suppose they'll have a view on next season, and there's a few players that Gavin Price has brought in on short-term deals that might be you know staking their claim for a, a place at Borough Briggs next season. Uh, Kane O'Connor being being one of them, and uh, a couple of others that have have come in, but. It's um, yeah, no, just the the sort of uh, slow end to the the season that uh, that will have them, you know, just desperate for a a fresh push uh, come come the summer. Well, we'll see. Cowden Beath go down potentially. We could have a Murray Derby in League Two, and again, that wasn't something that was on the on the agenda. Maybe a couple of months ago, a month ago, with who was looking like winning the Highland League and who was looking 
like maybe dropping out of League Two. Anyway, well let's let's stop then. And let's end this week's episode of Northern Goal as well. Thanks to Paul, Andy and Jamie for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, you can like and subscribe on your favourite podcast app. That email address again, northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. And yeah, finally, as always, enjoy whatever football games you're watching in the days ahead. And we'll catch you next week. Hope you loved the episode, and if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.